The children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The familiar parable of the wicked servant, the wise steward, in a worldly sense of the word wise, presents to us an example that will benefit from our listening to the fathers of the church and their commentary. It also benefits from our listening to the ordinary prayers that happen to have been offered today in the other calendar, where it's the 17th Sunday of ordinary time. Whereas our collect today, uh, beautiful and perfect in its own right, has us praying, graciously grant to us, we beseech thee, O Lord, the spirit to think and do always such things as to be rightful, that we who cannot exist without thee may be enabled to live according to thy will. Add to that other prayers that have been offered already at this altar earlier this morning, namely the other collect. O God, protector of those who hope in you, without whom nothing has firm foundation, nothing is holy, bestow in abundance your mercy upon us and grant that with you as our ruler and guide, we may use the good things that pass in such a way as to hold fast even now to those that ever endure. Through Christ our Lord, amen. The lesson our Lord teaches us at the end of the gospel is very clear. I say to you, make unto you friends of the mammon of iniquity, that when you shall fail, they may receive you into everlasting dwellings. Make use of what you have now. Make what use of what is under your care temporarily, so that it benefits your ultimate interests, namely your salvation. Consider how the example of this steward about to lose his job can easily cause us um, some confusion. So, Pseudo-Dionysius comments, there is a certain erroneous opinion inherent in mankind which increases evil and lessens good. It is the feeling that all the good things we possess in the course of our life, we possess as lords over them, and accordingly, we seize them as our special goods, but it is quite the contrary. For we are placed in this life not as lords in our own house, but as guests and strangers, led whither we would not, and at a time we think not of. He who is now rich suddenly becomes a beggar. Therefore, whoever you are, know yourself to be a dispenser of the things of others, and that the privileges granted you are for a brief and passing use. Cast away then from your soul the pride of power and put on the humility and modesty of a steward. The things that we have at our disposal now are temporary. The things that have been given to us to quote-unquote own aren't really our property, as though we can do with them whatever we desire, as though we actually are responsible for their coming into existence. They're given to us for a time and for a purpose.
And so we are stewards. Just as our Lord uses the example of a steward, custodians, caretakers. St. Ambrose emphasizes this point, commenting on the same passage of this gospel. From this we learn then that we are not ourselves the masters, but rather the stewards of the property of others. Think of this in light of the meditation that's been made already now after Easter, especially with Trinity Sunday, a meditation that will continue to reverberate and help us to realize different ramifications of the reality that creation was made not for our benefit. Creation was made to glorify the Trinity. God made the entire universe freely, without necessity, but not primarily for us, but primarily as an outpouring of the love of the Trinity for the glorification of God. Something possible when God is not an isolated, bearded, solitary figure who might be almighty or might be love, but couldn't be both as a solitary divine person. When the Godhead is the triune union of three divine persons, not only is it possible for God to be love and almighty, but the creation of the universe can be for the glorification of the Trinity and be an act of love. Everything that exists then, whether it be something that will exist for the rest of eternity, something that has a definite starting point, but has no end point. In geometry, it would be a ray, right? It has a start, but at the end of it, there's an arrow. It goes on forever. Namely, rational creatures, angels, and men. We exist for the glorification of God, to manifest the glory of God. As Mary prays in the Magnificat, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. That's her ultimate purpose. And that gets to the real heart of the matter here, of how this steward is being praised in comparison to us. In a commentary that you might see, if you look up the propers for each Sunday, you can find them through the parish website. The folders that are prepared by the Latin Mass Society. They don't have the, the sacred music that we have, but just the readings, the intro, the propers. And then sometimes, a little bit of a commentary. We're reminded that the children of this world are wiser in their worldly affairs, specifically more astute in the advancement of their own interests than are the children of light in what they have before all things to do and to provide for namely the things of the kingdom of God, the things that refer to God's honor, and secondarily, their own eternal salvation. The wicked provide in a wiser and more far-seeing manner for the temporal than do the good, namely us, for the eternal. The wicked are more single-minded and far-sighted in pursuing their interests 
which, because they are wicked, are temporal, temporary, earthly interests. They know there's a time frame. The exact same time frame binds us, but it's the time frame for spending ourselves, not gaining. It's that same time frame, the brief moment of our earthly life. If we truly are going to be good, then we need to be just as single-minded and just as far-sighted in pursuing our, e our interests, which are eternal interests, namely the glory of God, the salvation of souls. Make no mistake then, it's not his deceit, it's not his trickery, which is being praised. St. Augustine makes it very clear. It's his farsightedness. The steward whom his Lord cast out of his stewardship is nevertheless commended because he provided himself against the future. As it follows, and the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. We ought not, however, to take the whole for our imitation, we should never act deceitfully against our Lord in order that from the fraud itself we may give alms. It's not his deceit which is being praised, his single-mindedness, his far-sightedness. The fathers of the church then go on almost unanimously to make it very clear that with whom ought we make friends of the mammon of iniquity? The poor. Take care of the poor. Love the poor. You have enough, you have plenty, and even if you didn't, you would still need to take care of the poor. Mother Teresa said this time and time again. She, she served and sought out and loved the poorest of the poor so that helping them towards heaven at the time of her death, there would be those who could plead her case before the judgment seat of God. How many times does the gospel remind us, do good to those who can't pay you back now? Invite those who can't return the favor. When St. Thomas Aquinas talks about the virtue of joy, which Mother Teresa made a requirement for the missionaries of charity in the constitution of their religious congregation, St. Thomas Aquinas reminds us that we can be joyful by virtue of the experience of God. We become joyful when we reflect on God's goodness, all the deeds of God's in the past. We can become joyful when we contemplate his promises that we know will be fulfilled in the future. We also can be joyful when we do works of genuine charity. The gospel today helps us make a clean distinction between the works of charity we do for our own temporal benefit. So I can pat myself on the back and think that I'm a good person. I'm not bad like those other people. It makes us only more self-centered, inwardly focused, proud. Totally different from the acts of charity 
which really can be described as acts of God's goodness in which we are permitted to participate. And then we're not, we're not even thinking about ourselves. We don't, we don't observe ourselves as we're doing it. We don't even think about what it might benefit us or how we might get credit for it. We become light. We become almost invisible. There's the experience of joy, of, of just simply the, the, the lightness of, of being in the presence of God and being surrounded by charity. You can try to imagine examples where it's going to be very difficult to get credit for something. The streets are empty except for one homeless man, and he's asleep, so no one's going to see you, and he won't even, he won't even see you, right? And you leave a, a cup of coffee and a sandwich right there, or you leave a gift card for, for Jimmy John's right there, and he's still asleep, and you walk away. It could be a great act of charity where you know this is invisible. Only God sees this, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have been able to participate in an act of goodness. I'm grateful to be an instance in which God helps someone. But the exact same scenario can be a moment in which you think about how I'm such a good person. No one's going to see me, and the, and the homeless guy doesn't even notice. I'm such a good person. That was a good feeling. I should do that at least once a month. There is no scenario you can construct that, that makes the whole action good, that results in your eternal interest being pursued. It also requires your heart to be pure. It requires our purpose to be clear. What is our purpose? Is it my own gain or is it the glory of God and the salvation of souls, including my own? The devil can even ruin our good works by tarnishing our intention, by, by confusing our purposefulness. But how clearly do we see it? Many examples. I'm sure you have your own examples of the people you've known and admire in your life. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the good seminarian who decides in college seminary, he's not going to walk on eggshells anymore so that he can try to get to the seminary where he really wants to go. He's just going to pray and do his studies and speak the truth and try to be kind and let the chips fall where they may. It doesn't matter if he goes to, to this school or that school, provided they're both orthodox, of course. It's the professional who has so many contacts, but never uses any of them for his own benefit, but only to help promote the good people who have worked for him, who deserve some help, who need some encouragement. It's that great legal mind, some of us know him by name, I won't say his name though, who, who could have played his cards right to get a federal bench, to get that appointment, and to be able to be a federal judge for the rest of his life, but decided to heck with it all. I'm going to write the truth, and I'm going to ruin my career, but I'm going to enjoy the rest of my life because I'm going to be able to say the truth unfettered, 
unafraid of the personal consequences. Or it could even just be at the end of trying chemo, the person who knows, my, my time is short. I'm not trying to stretch it out as long as I possibly can. To heck with the, the, the fruit smoothies and to heck with the chemo, we're going out for a bacon cheeseburger. I'm not trying to extend my life as long as is humanly possible. Let's enjoy what God has given us for his purpose, to love each other, to be good, to glorify God, to already experience now the closeness of the communion of saints that we will experience in heaven forever. Is our purpose clear? Are we single-minded? It means that we, we do trust that God will take care of that and God will, God will figure that out. Our Lord taught us about that too. Don't the birds of the air have no worry about what to wear or where, what they'll eat? The poppies in the field are beautiful. They don't have to worry about their clothes. Do likewise. The Lord loves you more than he loves them. So we ask the Lord then to be clear in our purpose, to appreciate the value of, of time. It might be good to reread the Gospels, especially John's Gospel, as we did this summer, and recognize how his public ministry is very conscious of time the limited time he has. He has one purpose, to glorify his Father and to do his will, to save as many of these souls as he can. A twofold single purpose. He is always aware of Jerusalem, what will happen there, and what needs to happen before he gets there. So our approaching the altar is approaching Jerusalem, where the Paschal mystery is represented to us. And the temporal decisions we have to make today or this week or in the near future, let's pledge to God that we, we won't make decisions based on how much it will impress other people, how much money we stand to make from it. Or how many bad friends may come into our lives because of it. But rather, how it glorifies God. How it benefits those whom he loves, most especially the poor. And how it leads us closer to heaven. Soul of Christ, sanctify us. Body of Christ, save us. Blood of Christ, inebriate us. Water from the side of Christ, wash us. Passion of Jesus, 
strengthen us. O good Jesus, hear us. Within thy wounds, hide us. Suffer us not to be separated from thee. From the malicious enemy, defend us. At the hour of our deaths, call us and bid us come unto thee, that with thy saints and angels we may praise thee forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.